Go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am so excited to be joined by my new friend, Alex Segura, who was recently on our show uh, covering X-Men number 65. We had a great time and I'm thrilled to have Alex back. Alex, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. This will be fun. I'm so happy to have you, my friend. It is uh, <laughs> it is late May, uh, 2023. We're gonna we're recording this about a month before we release. There's a lot happening in the world right now. How is yes. life for you in New York City these days? Uh, things are good. Uh, uh, Secret Identity just won the LA Times Book Prize, which was I, huge. Yes, yeah, that that's was so amazing. big. Yeah, and uh, I just released a new Spider-Man YA novel, Aranya and Spider-Man 2099, Dark Tomorrow. Um, and I always feel like I'm forgetting something, but I've got some stuff coming up with Marvel and DC and just keeping busy. There's a lot of stuff happening. I uh, I don't know what you can talk about uh, based on NDAs, based on the fact that this will come out at the end of June. But is there anything you're able to talk about as far as what you're working on? Yes, I've got a Return of the Jedi one shot that is coming out from Marvel, I believe, in July, and it focuses on Admiral Akbar in the days leading up to the Battle of Endor. Um, and I've got a two-part Sinestro story from DC that's part of the Night Terrors crossover. So that'll be a backup in the two Green Lantern issues in July that's and August. That's so good. I love it. Uh, I love hearing characters like Admiral Admiral Akbar get their due. <laughs> yeah, no, he deserves it. Uh, and it's it's a I, I'm calling it like a soft prequel to my Poe Dameron novel. So it's got um, Poe's parents, Cass Dameron and Shara Bay and Mon Mothma and just lots of like espionage and Star Wars uh, hijinks, I guess. I wish I was more of a Star Wars guy. I've seen all the movies like one time, but despite my crazy nerd universe stuff, I just, it's not a, it's not a universe I've spent a lot of time in. However, I do read yeah. a lot of Marvel's Star Wars comics and they're super top quality. The talent. They really are. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm biased obviously as part of it, but I, I've, I've been a reader anyway. And um, yeah, it's just, I, I also feel like people only have room for so many like fandoms. So I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, uh, Alex has a long publication history uh, doing comics and novels. My personal favorite work of yours, which we got to talk about on my show a little bit, is Secret Identity, Thank you. Uh, which is uh, multiple award winning at this point, but uh, it continues to get really incredible attention. It's a wonderful book. Uh, and Thank you. I I, uh, I keep talking about it to people who are looking for something to read as something that I enjoyed so much. I've loaned my own copy out like five times, but I'm like, also, you should buy one. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's how people that. make it. Yeah, you know, I'm amazed that the, I guess, you know, books kind of have that life cycle of a couple releases and then a couple months later they kind of fade away and uh, people are still talking about it. So I'm really grateful that, you know, the buzz continues, which is great. And I'm uh, the sequel will come out, not the sequel, but the follow-up comes out next summer. So. Are you able to, t like, who's the featured character in the follow-up? Are we back with Carmen again? No, we're actually, it is set in the modern day. It follows a comic book artist or former comic book artist named Annie Bustamante, who um, left comics and moved on to doing storyboards for movies and um, discovers that a obscure comic book character is being relaunched by a new media company called Triumph Entertainment. And it's a character she grew up loving as a kid, um, the legendary Lynx. And so there's a social media, up, you know, not uproar, but wave of support, basically pushing for Annie to relaunch the character. And so she does. And as she starts working on the book, um, she realizes that the backstory of the Lynx is much more complicated than she figured at first, uh, including some murder and some bad things happening. And so it's, you know, 
I jokingly say this to people, but if you know, if you're looking for a story about generational trauma and parenting uh, <laughs> as a comic book noir in the modern day, that's this is the book for you. But it's um, it's got art sequences by Sandy Gerald again. Uh, he changes his art style to kind of evoke the artist in this new novel. Um, and Carmen does show up, but um, it's it's a new protagonist, so it's it's very much in the other side of the coin to Secret Identity, um, which I think people were curious to see, and and I was definitely had a great time writing it. Well, reflecting, I mean, we talked a lot about the research you put into creating uh, how the industry was then, and then reflecting how it is uh, in the more modern day. I'm I'm super yeah. excited, Matt. I'll be I'll be first in line to get it. Oh, that's, thanks. Yeah, I hope people fabulous. like it. Well, and we'll have you back on to talk about it. I hope. Yeah, I think, for uh, sure. You're fabulous. Uh, so, whenever we are doing these Patreon episodes, I try to let my guests kind of steer the direction of which direction we're going. The parameters being that we're focusing on more obscure characters. Uh, right. You and I went back and forth a little bit, and we landed on the early X Factor obscure team uh, called the Alliance of Evil. <laughs> uh, this yes. this was a really fun. I hadn't revisited these comics in a while. Uh, except as part of like my angel research, but focusing on these villains was a treat for me. Uh, why why did we pick these characters? What what is it about this group? <laughs> uh, you know, I think we talked about a, this a little bit before um, I logged or before we started recording. But I was a huge X Factor kid. You know, when I was um, I first got turned on to the X Men. It was an issue um, 237, Uncanny 237, which was, I think, part two or three of the original Genosha storyline. Um, and I, I joke because it's the least new reader friendly issue of Claremont's run, which is saying a lot. <laughs> you just like you have to know that Carol Danvers is in Rogue's body and has taken over. You have to know that they've been wiped out and have no powers, that Wolverine has, you know, it's basically Wolverine and Rogue on a spy mission. Um, my point being is that eventually I got into the Marvel superhero cards, you know, those you know, series one cards. And I was so confused because the original X-Men were not X-Men anymore. Um, and I was also, you know, this is a time period where you get the new uncanny issues, but you also had classic X-Men, which was, Claremont kind of uh, remixing the original stories and adding backups. And um, so I knew Cyclops and was part of the team at some point. And then I realized that he was part of the original team. And I just was so fascinated as a kid, like, why did the original X-Men leave? And what's funny is that it's really resolved in a few panels. Like you have yeah. giant size X-Men and then a few panels into the next issue that Claremont's, I think, scripting at that point, they basically just leave. They all pack up and leave and Cyclops is off behind. So it was never like a big battle, but I always thought, wow, it's such a, it's so lame that the original X-Men were just like booted from the team. Um, obviously I learned the why and the wherefore yeah, by reading yeah, yeah. The issues, but there's um, a lot of history. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of twists and turns. There's a whole dark Phoenix saga. Uh, Angel does come back briefly and, you know, beast is an Avenger and all this, but that made me a huge X factor fan kind of out of the gate because I felt like somehow the X-Men were wrong. The original X-Men were wrong. So I was really into the idea of them reforming. Um, I was <laughs> not into the execution of explaining X Factor. Like you can't, X Factor's early concept, you can't really explain it away in a sentence or two. And I think they realized <laughs> it very quickly. Yeah, yeah uh, thank you, Louis Simonson, for uh, <laughs> cleaning that up. <laughs> Let's give a little context here and then talk about this premise because it's a crazy time. Uh, the X-Men launched in the early 60s, was canceled at the end of the 60s. And then they were kind of guest stars for a while. 
eventually we get the Claremont books starting in the mid 1970s. And at this right. point where we're beginning, it's like 1985, 86, where we're going to be focusing our time. Uh, the X-Men had become a huge franchise. Yeah. Uh, they they are now launching a new mutants book, which is the next generation of X-Men. The original characters have kind of gone on and had a lot of adventures. Jean is dead because of the Phoenix stuff. Cyclops is married to Madeline Pryor. Uh, the, uh, the Beast has been part of the Avengers. Iceman and Angel were in the Champions and the Defenders. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that has taken place for these characters, but now there's a franchise and expanding into X Factor is now opening a brand new book, which is something five years later that they would do in an even bigger way in the early 90s. But in the yeah. mid 80s, this is even before the Wolverine book existed. So we yeah. we had X-Men or Uncanny X-Men and, and New Mutants. And now we've got X Factor, uh, where the premise was uh, editorial wanted the five original X-Men back together which meant there was a lot of pressure on bringing Jean Grey back from the dead, which meant ending Cyclops and Madeline Pryor's marriage and bringing these characters back together, which also meant putting Beast back in his human form because the premise we're going to talk about, you can't have a blue furry guy that's recognized as an Avenger to the public being part right. of this. Uh, it's, it's an interesting concept that brought them all together, but it's a dangerous time for mutants. This is the Reagan era. We're pre-AIDS crisis as this mm -hmm. begins. And there's a lot happening in the country. Yeah. Uh, and you see that reflected in these books a lot. We're seeing questions like, uh, you know, Claremont brings up the Morlocks uh, as a secret society of mutants under the ground, the ones nobody wants to look at. And we're starting to see more like paramilitary groups form against these characters. The, there, there's a lot happening in the comics that we could spend a lot of time divulging. Mm -hmm. but, uh, let's let's kind of use that as a, a bridge for tell us about what early X Factor is about. What's the premise they sell this book on? <laughs> yeah, thank you for teeing that up. So the idea is, and this is due to the influence of, uh, I, I believe, Angel's old college classmate, Cameron Hodge, who obviously will go on to become a floating head uh, connected to a giant cybernetic monster <laughs> uh, during Extinction Agenda and before. But um Basically, the idea is the X, X Factor, as an organization known to the public, are mutant hunters. You call them, and they will come and resolve your mutant problem. On the flip side, the original X-Men have reformed as a mutant team called the Wink Wink Exterminators. Um, and they're basically an X-Men-like strike force that um, fights evil mutants. The twist is X Factor and the Exterminators are one and the same. And so when you're calling... When you're like an anti-mutant person calling X-Factor to come fix your problem, you're actually calling the exterminators and they are helping the mutants that you're trying to get rid of. Um, a, good, a, very... a, a good parallel is who are you going to call Ghostbusters? But the Ghostbusters are actually ghosts pretending to be Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, and they don't want to kill the ghosts. They want to befriend them and train them to be better ghosts. So it's very much <laughs> a, a kind of convoluted twist on Professor Xavier's original dream where the original X-Men take on this role of teachers, which in the context of X-Men at the time, I think the, the X-Men team were in Australia. So as far as anyone knew, they were dead or not yet, maybe almost around that time. They definitely were, because X-Factor and X-Men don't meet until Inferno, which is kind of wild. Correct. And this is a little before. So X-Factor X number one opens with Cyclops leaving Madeline Pryor, who's right. part of the group that goes to Australia. So it's a little before this. Right. But this right. is also a time where we had the threats against mutant kind really increasing. The marauders are hunting and killing mutants and their families. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, Jean Grey has just come back from the dead from the bottom of Jamaica Bay. Uh, in Avengers and Fantastic Four right before this. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot happening in the comics and the continuity gets very thick very quickly. 
Yeah, and it's interesting that the Jean Grey stuff, um, I'm sure you've read Kurt Busiek talk about how that came to be and how, mm -hmm. you know, he had originally had come up with this idea of how to bring her back as a plot exercise on a long drive. And then he mentioned it to, I'm, I forget if it was Stern or Byrne or John Byrne, but eventually it became what actually happened. You know, they thanked him, but the story was basically that instead of the Phoenix taking over Jean Grey, the Phoenix replaced Jean Grey and sent her into Jamaica Bay, like in, in some kind of bubble. And so the Phoenix that we saw post that issue of X-Men uh, where she gets attacked by solar flares, basically like trying to land the ship. Now I'm getting two in the weeds, but anyway, so that was <laughs> not, great. that was, yeah. Well, that was and, this is, <laughs> and this is super preemptive, uh, but I'm always doing research months in advance. Uh, Jean Grey, who I've been talking about on my show since the beginning, but she's finally getting her trial format on my show in October. So I'm, oh, cool. I'm currently reading her entire chronology and I just finished the X factor early issues again. Mm -hmm. I, I read them for this episode, but yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, even after all these decades, it's still really confusing. The which part yeah. was Phoenix and which part was Jean and which part was Madeline and who has whose memories. It's it's confusing. <laughs> well, I think they also realize that because towards the end, I think, or maybe towards the last third of uh, Weezy Simonson's run, they all get smushed together. Like she absorbs the Phoenix Force's memory, she absorbs Madeline Pryor's memory. So it's like a very a very kind of editorially driven way of fixing that. But. Um, yeah, I'm I'm fat personally I'm not to detour too much, but I'm fascinated with that weird period between the end of the original X-Men run and Giant Size X-Men, which I know you're talking about a lot on the show with the hidden years, but there's an entire Marvel Masterworks or two of them dedicated to those issues, like yeah. the the original Beast issues where he turns gray and then blue. We'll get there the, this fall on my show. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's really fascinating. And then I think Beast, Iceman, and Angel end up in the new Defenders for a long while. Mm -hmm. um, and that team completely falls apart. So there's a you see a little bit of that in the early issues of X-Factor um, where we meet the Alliance of Evil. In, uh, in November on my show, we will land back in, we're leaving the early 2000s and going back to the early 70s. So nice. we'll start back with the chronological stuff and, and hit amazing adventures as the year uh, progresses. So I, I I planned pretty far ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's exciting. Uh, and yeah, I'm really excited. Those amazing adventures things are, are crazy. Uh, but I won't get in the weeds there because we'll be there a long time. So X-Factor is posing as government anti-mutant agents. Uh, there has also been a Mutant Registration Act passed, which is nuts when you consider the politics of that in the Marvel Universe. You yeah. got to come in, tell us your name, your identity, your powers. We need to know where you are at all times, uh, which is just, it's such an invasion of privacy and people are standing against it. We see a scene in X-Factor early on where they agree to register, but only using their mutant names. They're like, we're going to keep our, our uh, civilian identities private still which is a way of standing out and we'll talk about that plot when we get to the alliance of evil because they're part of that story right uh, the premise quickly falls apart they end up saving kids like rusty collins and skids uh leech and Artie, uh whiz kid i think is part of this boom boom and richter yeah. and suddenly they're living in apocalypse's ship and there's like <laughs> this huge cast and they're like we got to send all these kids off to school and there's a the, so when they're in their government agents uh identity it's x-factor and when right. they're in there, like mutant freedom fighters, they're called the exterminators, which is the name the kids take later. Yeah. Uh, and it, of course, that's the Leah Williams series from uh, from the, the, you know, the girls blowing up vampires, <laughs> which was just which is awesome. Yeah, it's so good. It's amazing. Yeah. And the art was great, too. 
but the premise falls apart pretty quickly. This is also the era where everything Warren has gets stripped away and he becomes Archangel. We also see Apocalypse showing up for the first time. And the Alliance of Evil are maybe the most unremembered part of Apocalypse's origin story. <laughs> yeah, they're like his... Uh the first draft of his horsemen it's like his first pass at having henchmen and you really don't see them together much it's almost because it's not to get too in the weeds but you're obviously seeing the transition from the original creative team of bob layton and, and jackson now butch geis and eventually louis simonson taking over as writer and she'll have a long very acclaimed run but um i think at one point layton wanted it to be the owl as the big bad revealed and the owl yeah the daredevil <laughs> villain known as the owl and i think I, uh, uh for those that follow I, I i have hundreds of profiles that i've written for marvel comics the owl is one of them i love this character <laughs> he's cool i mean he's a great daredevil villain i don't think oh, he's, he's the worst <laughs> yeah i mean it could be cool but i i see him i always see him more as a you know street level daredevil villain not not a x-men villain <laughs> i i love the owl man he's nuts that's a crazy yeah. that's a crazy uh idea like x-men yeah. versus the owl is a very different story because apocalypse goes on to be one of the like top three ultimate x-men villains of all time along mm. with magneto and mr sinister yeah um so we're talking about this premise which quickly falls apart the creative team changes louise simonson takes over for bob layton was the original yeah. writer and mm -hmm. uh and we then we get the x-factor characters being heroes but this series early on especially is very much about their very messy lives and yeah one of their earliest set of villains is the alliance of evil who are the ultimate 80s characters really the <laughs> only one of these characters who is well remembered is frenzy uh, and that's largely because she went on to join the X-Men many years later. Uh, but her early, like, this is like punk rock, like bright colors. Everybody's wearing, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking of like uh, American Horror Story 1983 or whatever that was called, where all the fashion is like, like uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a definitely its own time. And this is also when I was a child. I was born in 1978. So I was like seven or eight in this. These right. are like... Uh, I, I grew up in Missouri. These are like summers at the pool, listening to Madonna and Tiffany playing on the loudspeaker and eating chili fries in between, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, Frenzy, I didn't I didn't see until the Acolytes showed up. And that was when I was kind of actively reading the X-Men before I kind of hopped back and read those early issues of X-Factor. I think when we were kids, like we're about maybe two years apart, um, it wasn't as easy to find back issues. So you kind of read what was at, on the newsstand. And so I didn't get to catch up and read X-Factor until maybe my early to mid-teens. It's a, it's a, it's wildly fun, even after all these years, to go back yeah. and read these comics and these characters and the way they're reinterpreted, of course. Uh, but it's a family. These guys are a really messy family. And Angel's gone from the book for so long. Uh, yeah. The whole Archangel death stuff goes on and on. Uh, oh, so the first the first character we meet here is in X Factor two and three. This is the character Tower. He is mm -hmm. a size changing mutant who can presumably shrink really small. Also, uh, he is a screaming, arrogant braggart. His real name is Edward Pasternak, which there's a story there already. And he's been hired by the scientist Carl Maddox to kidnap the beast. And this is the story that turns beast back from being blue and furry into his human form, which they needed right. for this story, basically. Uh, Carl is the father of Artie Maddox, by the way, who's the little pink guy that can talk in emojis with his yeah. 
Uh, he's he's a cute little character. Uh, Before we even knew what emojis were, <laughs> <laughs> he's the original emoticon. We'll we'll talk about Artie sometime. I like him. Uh, yeah. Tower attacks Beast in the apartment of Vera Cantor. We review this in my epic episode with Sarah Century on Vera. So listen to that if you'd like. Uh, he beats up both uh, Iceman and uh, Vera, knocks them out, and takes Beast back to Maddox. Uh, X-Factor as the exterminators attacks Tower and defeats him. Uh, but he's like, I'll, if you let me go, I'll give you some intel on where Beast is. And then again, Beast is turned back in his human form by the end of this story. <laughs> but uh, this isn't the Alliance yet. But what are your thoughts on Tower in this first appearance? You know, my yeah, I think Tower is not remarkably memorable, unfortunately. Like he just seems like another big, tough villain. And I, I think as readers, or at least as a reader for me, this initial arc of X Factor feels very connecting the dots as opposed to like singular, like, let me try and write the best comics I can. And it's not a criticism of the creators. It's more editorially driven. Like we need to have Jean Grey alive again. We need to have Beast human again. We need to reunite the X-Men with a cause that's meaningful and evokes Professor Xavier. And we need a mysterious big bad. So you put in those ingredients and you kind of get this story. But um I always felt like the Alliance of Evil got short shrift and could have been pretty cool at some point. And maybe it's not too late, but, you know, the characters, a frenzy I am very fond of, but Tower never really left a, a big impression on me, despite yeah, his powers. Tower is just a screaming white guy. If I made a list of yeah. Marvel size changing villains, uh, I mean, Hank Pym is top of the list. <laughs> yeah. Hawkeye uh, as Goliath. Yeah. We got we got Atlas. We got Gargantua. Tower's like number seven out of seven. I don't know. He's he's on not a good my, day. Yeah. <laughs> he's not my favorite by any means. I would love to write or read a reunion of these characters on Krakoa. It would be fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Tower is not anyone's favorite villain. I do love that he dresses in pink. I love his name is Pasternak. Uh, yes. I love that he has this like long yellow hair and has such a thinly veiled ego. Uh, there's some interesting things to explore. And we'll talk about what happens to this guy over time. But yeah. uh, he, he gets a, a very tragic end. Uh, and then in X-Factor 4, we meet Frenzy. Uh, tell us about Frenzy, Alex. I love this character. Yeah, Frenzy, uh, her, her real name is... Joanna Cargill, and she's been a member of various mutant teams. She's been on the Acolytes. She's been on the X-Men, obviously the Alliance of Evil. Um, like most and, recently in S.W.O.R.D. in the comics. Yeah, she was in S.W.O.R.D. as well. So she's, I think she, if I had like a top 10 most underrated X characters, she would definitely make that list just in terms of like com complexities and just being interesting. Um, I think she's been on the fringe of every notable X storyline for like the past decade or so. And yeah, I think of the Alliance of Evil, she's the character with the most potential that probably deserves a longer look, I would say. Yeah, she is in her original appearances. I mean, you don't see a lot of Black women characters, first right. of all, in any comics at the time. But she stands out for that reason. Uh, she's got, like, beaded dreads. She's tall, mm -hmm. super muscular. She's all boots and buckles and black leather. And she comes across as, like, she she definitely turns your head. And she's pissed. And yeah, she's I mean, super strong, basically, is her power. She's there are there are tropes about angry black women, obviously, but it's fun yeah. to see a really powerful black woman in 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 this character. I, I there's some others at Marvel. I'm thinking of the character Knockout, or there's a few right. others, but Frenzy really stands out. She turns your head, she's very opinionated, very loud about her her feelings and impressions. Uh, and she definitely uh she definitely is a big part of uh of the reason that I'm invested in this team in the first place. Yeah, she um, definitely makes it more interesting. Otherwise, the, the the team, the alliance is pretty one note, I would say. 
So the premise here, X-Factor has saved the teen Rusty Collins. Uh, Tower and Frenzy have some sort of mysterious mutant master who turns out to be Apocalypse. Who not wants the Rusty... owl. <laughs> not the owl. Although yeah. that's, that's a wild story. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised you hadn't heard that. Yeah, I think I heard it. Um, I think it was on Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. I have not heard that, and I love it so much. I'm going to get that information down. That character is yeah, so yeah. fun. Uh, But uh, Tower and Frenzy have been sent to capture Rusty Collins. X-Factor is protecting him. Frenzy tells Tower, it's just as I told, uh, you know, the master, our boss, never send a boy to do a woman's job. And then she tells him, (laughs) it's a pity your brain doesn't enlarge like your body, Tower. And she throws him, she literally throws him in the trash. It's just an amazing beginning. Uh, They battle X-Factor. Rusty uh, is lost. Frenzy reports back to the guy in the shadows who's Apocalypse. And this is literally his first appearance. Yeah. Um, they also reference in this story a source that they're addicted to, which we'll get into in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we jump to X Factor Five, which is the first like image of Apocalypse. So this issue is pretty famous in it's a, a great lot cover. Of yeah, it's it's a really great cover. Yeah, uh, this is where the Exterminators are fighting against the Alliance of Evil on the cover. In that classic, like one team on the left, one team on the right. Uh, this is like the beginning of the X-Men cartoon, right? Where the two yeah. teams of villains are rushing at each other. Uh, Angel is... Yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, Angel is flying at Tower. Marvel and Cyclops are rushing at a character named Time Shadow. Uh, Iceman is trading trading blows with Debbie Gibson. I mean, Stinger. <laughs> it's like the most exactly. 80s ex-villain of all time. Uh, Beast is rushing at Frenzy. And this story is called uh, Tapped Out. And we open to a character named Michael Nolan. Uh, tell us about Michael Nolan, if you will. This is a very obscure mutant that most people do not remember, particularly from the first appearance of Apocalypse. Yeah, Michael Nolan um, is someone that I guess X Factor vowed to protect uh, after, once they realized the Alliance was chasing after them. Um, and Michael's wife is Susie, right? Am I? Yes. Uh-huh. This? Yeah. And so that's kind of what spurs the battle that, you know, the Alliance is after this guy, X Factor slash the exterminators intercede. And the Alliance wants to bring Nolan back to their mysterious master, who obviously turns out to be uh, Apocalypse. Michael Nolan is a drug addict and a yeah. veteran, and he has the mutant power to boost the powers of other mutants, which is a very Fabian Cortez thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the other, the, there's very few mutants that can do this. Uh, this was referenced in Sword recently, where we do see Michael Nolan referenced. Um, mm. uh, the character Boost is is mentioned here, as well as the new character Cora of the Burning Heart, who's being explored right. Sword. Uh, but Michael Nolan is a, a literal drug addict, and the Alliance is after him because he is feeding them with his power, which mm. has become addictive. So he's boosting them up. And now he's trying to escape and go back to his wife, Susie. Uh, but they are after him because uh, Apocalypse is basically keeping them addicted to drugs so that, <laughs> so that they will work for him, which is, again, a very yeah. wild beginning for this character. Yeah, it's a very strange first draft. Like, I guess later on he realizes, let me just reshape these mutants to do my bidding as opposed <laughs> to getting them hooked on uh, mysterious drugs. But yeah. Uh, definitely a work in progress. <laughs> he just woke up from his hundred year apocalypse sleep and they hadn't quite figured out who he was yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone had it yet. <laughs> apocalypse is weirdly a villain we have not talked about much on my show yet. Uh, just simply we haven't gotten there, but we talk about yeah. Sinister all the time, even though we haven't got there yet, but we don't bring up Apocalypse much. We'll, we'll get there over time. It's, I yeah, I mean, his arc is so interesting. I think, you know, he's he's created... And I don't think, obviously, Leighton had any sense of what he was going to be. He was kind of teasing this mysterious baddie. And then 
Wheezy Simonson comes in and establishes him more, but even up through Executioner's Song, his origin changes a lot, his background, and now even through House of X and the Hickman era, it's um, it's evolved a great deal. So he's pretty fascinating. Uh, when we get Michael Nolan initially, we learn that part of the reason he wants to use drugs again is because that makes his powers go away, and it, mm-hmm. like, calms his mind so this character is very much an addict and he's portrayed in a relatively sympathetic way but uh this is also the like dare campaign era of america like the mid 80s just say no to drugs so this is a Mm -hmm. wild story in the reaganomics era of our country (laughs) uh we get x factor in like the most 80s aerobic outfits ever in a gym sequence it's a great sequence it's so good yeah, uh, Susie, when Michael calls, Susie wants nothing to do with him. This is his human wife. And she calls X-Factor like, hey, uh, we've got this mutant that needs to be captured. Uh, which yeah, again, Get rid of my husband. Yeah, <laughs> this is part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, the team gathers. And this is the scene where uh, Vera has taken Beast clothes shopping and he gets the call and is like, I got to go. You better pay me pay for my clothes again. Go see the Vera Cantor episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Susie's ready to leave town, but the Alliance of Evil show up at her house. And now we get a. Uh, better better view we've talked about tower and frenzy already uh let's talk about stinger for a moment she is dressed in green fishnet tights with red boots that have the biggest boot flaps uh tight red that goes past her hips bare arms green gloves red vest with white lightning bolts on it and like the 80s like rock star hairdo with a literal green tie around her head like uh and her power is to send out electric zaps at her opponents uh i i kind of love stinger (laughs) yeah i mean it's yeah i think debbie gibson is the most apt description i mean it's just kind of like a diet dazzler or like (laughs) b-level dazzler but um not the most original but neither is tower i think with good reason frenzy was the one that kind of rose to the top post uh post their initial appearances but I mean, at least Stinger goes for it. And her real name is Wendy Sherman. We see her a couple times with the Alliance of Evil, and then she's gone for 20 years and gets Mm -hmm. a couple stories on Utopia. And then she's actually been back on Krakoa. She's married to Polly Provenzano and has a baby. Omerta, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) she's gotten a little bit of time in the current comics, but mostly she doesn't have much of a personality. She's just kind of a zappy, mad 80s lady. And then we got Time Shadow, who is... My headcanon for this guy is he is just this rapey, creepy, I'm going to hide in the corner and watch you change in the locker room and then disappear. He gives me that energy. (laughs) I I could tell you're fascinated by this character to some degree. (laughs) I think he's bizarre and no one's ever done anything with him. Like, uh, I don't think we've ever seen him with his mask off. I might be wrong, but he he has this weird costume and this weird power set, and he just kind of disappears. Uh, there's there's a story. Uh, tell us about Time Shadow. Yeah, Time Shadow has this bizarre costume where it's like head to toe blue and black, black boots and gloves, but not even like actual gloves. They kind of fade into the bodysuit. And this weird um, pendant type design across his chest and neck. And then you just see his face it covers his hair but yeah not a lot is really known about this character i think he's really the really the footnote of a team of footnotes almost he's also but, a, um, he's also a villain with a mustache which always tells you something and he has this like insignia on his chest that's like right. a globe passing through time kind of it's like a it's like an old faded thing that you'd see on like an 80s t-shirt if you breathe it looks on like it. the mastercard logo 
It kind of does if you breathe yeah. out, it'll change color. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like one of those like cross colors type things, or like yeah, hyper colors. Um, and his powers are temporal duplication, which uh, I guess is the ability to phase himself out of time, which is just an excuse to have them like jump a second ahead or a second behind and and uh, disrupt whatever the heroes are doing. And it it I would find it really complicated to write this, but. And probably why not many people use him that frequently, because it's just kind of one of these powers that could get you out of any situation. After M-Day, Quicksilver lost his powers. And then there was that great series, Son of M, where yeah. he's at his lowest and he steals the Terrigen crystals from the Inhumans. I don't know if you've read this. And mm -hmm. he he's using it to restart the, the mutant gene, but your powers go wrong a little bit. And yeah. Quicksilver during this time develops kind of time shadow like powers in that he can... He can appear a little bit in the like from the future or from the past and like move, oh, right. like phase through time a little. So there's some cool stuff that can be done that's not often explored, but it's a very complicated power set. Uh, he, he calls these phase forms. Yeah. Uh, so X Factor finds Michael Nolan. He is shot up with heroin or something and is passed out on the floor. Uh, he's afraid of them because they're mutant hunters. And that's a problem when you're trying to yeah. save mutants. Uh, and this is where we learn about his power to boost the powers of others. Uh, powers flare out of control, but they tell Michael they're actually the exterminators. Uh, he explains that he's a recovering addict and that mm -hmm. his his uh, drugs are the only thing that'll stop his mutant power from kicking in. Yeah, it was so you, like you said, this was handled with more care than I kind of expected on reread. I was like, huh, this uh, the addiction storyline. I know it was the 80s. And so it's very anti drug as it, you know, which is fine. But it was uh, written with more empathy than I expected. He doesn't feel that one note, which is nice. So he joined the army. Uh, he meets Susie, who for a while was his like stabilizing factor, but she also would help him steal drugs and they'd use to or sell drugs and they'd use together. But now she wants to change her life. He's been in detox and then Apocalypse gets him and now is making him keep these characters high. So there's an interesting backstory for this guy. Uh, the veteran angle on him and like his desperation to mute his powers is yeah. an interesting factor. Uh, and when I when I'm pointing out interesting things about characters, these are things I would love to explore or, or see explored if I were yeah. writing and or reading these characters again. Uh, the Alliance of Evil shows up and Frenzy threatens to pop Susie's head off if Michael <laughs> refuses to go with them. Uh, they fight and of course he boosts up the villain's powers. Uh, Stinger in this fight hints that she wants Angel to get rough with her in bed, which is Awkward. an interesting turn. Yeah. Uh, and the Alliance of Evil wins, and they bring uh, Nolan back to Apocalypse, which is kind of his first official appearance at the back of this book. Uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of interesting to see them basically defeat the original X-Men. It's 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 a, It was a little, I remember it being really jarring on first read when I was younger, and even rereading, it's like, wow, I mean, they're really building up these villains, even though they're not remarkably memorable. And so, yeah, that kind of threw me off. Uh, I like seeing the mutant universe expanded here mm -hmm. in a way, because you re you get the vibe that there's mutants all over the place, but right. they're waiting for their time. It's always fun to see new characters for uh, sure. show up. In X-Factor 5, uh, the Alliance has gone back to Apocalypse, uh, but he's mad they left the other X-Characters behind. Uh, they keep threatening Susie unless Michael will keep boosting them. Uh, but then he causes Stinger's powers to go way too far. She literally blows the roof off the building. Mm -hmm. uh, the other powers start flaring out of control. Tower's a super giant. Time Shadow's like, oh no, I'm stuck out of time. I can't even... <laughs> like, this is like the time when Kitty got stuck as a ghost and, and couldn't come back. 
uh, uh, that was pretty disturbing, a, a haunting era of Kitty's run. Yeah, where like the ghost form is her natural form. It like takes will to come back to normal. They still haven't explained why she can't pass through the Krakoan gates, but I'm wondering if it has something to do with her crazy phasing powers. Like there's a... maybe, but yeah, I remember. I mean, it's played out mostly, I guess, in X Men versus the FF that miniseries, which I thought was really well done. Like just how they try to resolve that, but yeah, maybe it's all tied together. Yeah, it's uh, they they famously have said multiple times, like we have an answer for that, but we haven't revealed it yet. So, uh, Kitty's yeah. getting ready to join uh, the new X Men team uh, mm. after the Hellfire Gala as the new character Shadow Cat with a K. So we'll see we'll see if they do something with her there. It's I'm be, ready. It's gonna be interesting. Uh, so Frenzy's powers are out of control. She nearly kills Michael, and then Apocalypse intervenes and is like, "I've been alive for centuries, and my power is much more than yours." And he like knocks the alliance back, uh, straps Michael into a machine to study him, and the machine keeps him supplicated with heroin. Yeah. Uh, then they can block the heroin whenever Apocalypse wants to use him, which is just a horrible thing to do so- to someone. Yes. I guess like, yeah, Apocalypse like, is not a good person. You you learn that right out of the gate. <laughs> it's like very human trafficking. Like yeah. there's there's something disturbing. really awful. Uh, like uh, mutant growth hormone comes to mind when we're talking about this. All the stories about keeping characters. Oh yeah. Scooping out their DNA, right? Like uh, that happened to Dazzler for a while, actually, in the early. 2000s. I think so. Yeah, uh, that's before she went on her angry shield uh, stint under Brian Michael Bendis. Right. <laughs> um, and then the exterminators attack again. That's uh, X Factor. They fight the Alliance again. They fight Apocalypse for the first time. And Apocalypse here is the design on him with his like blue lips that extend and his like stretchy <laughs> powers. It's wild, but really iconic. There's something yeah. amazing about the way they chose to draw this character. Uh, do you have thoughts on early apocalypse um you know i think it's so weird to see his early appearances when you know what you know now and what the character becomes so you can you can still tell from a creative standpoint they're they're still figuring him out they've got the broad strokes of his look but he seems almost like a kid wearing his dad's clothes like you know like the (laughs) costume is too big and he's just kind of like ambling around but yeah it's it's definitely bizarre but it gets but, better, <laughs> but also kind of amazing. I yes, I, yes. I, I love For it. Sure. Yeah, and then he gets real scary real fast when they start yeah. with the horseman stuff, right? Like uh, the survival of the fittest thing kicks in very quickly. Yeah, uh, I think once uh, once Simonson figured out what she wanted Apocalypse to be, and I think there's a lot to be said for the synergy between Claremont and Simonson you know, Claremont writing the main X Men book and Louise writing uh, the spinoff, that they were able to tee each other up in a way that maybe Claremont and Leighton could not. So. Yeah, and it gives it gives X Factor a big baddie that goes on to become part of the X Men franchise, which yeah. is always amazing. You don't often see that those characters transcend in that way. Uh, yeah, especially it's really on the, I mean, this guy's been the villain in a movie, right? Like that's a that's a big deal. Uh, yeah. So a big fight breaks out. They make Michael boost their powers again, but uh, when he does, Stinger's zap squad of control and it kills Susie, uh, Michael's wife. So this character's ultimate hubris, he's now hit bottom. And this is referenced in his mention in a data page on Sword. Like he has no interest because Krakoa can't resurrect his wife, Susie, which all these years later, that's the the piece they brought in for this guy. Uh, And then Apocalypse ends the fight and they kind of rush off. The police arrest the Alliance of E evil uh they reference that michael maybe died of an overdose or like a heart attack or something but it's not quite stated. not fully resolved yeah and he's literally never been seen on panel again and uh this is where x factor sits down and goes like are we doing any good at all nope <laughs> not, not not a good strategy to pretend you are a mutant hunter <laughs> 
Uh, and then we don't see these characters again until X Factor 33. So a few years goes by. Angel gets lost. The big giant battle with Apocalypse happens. X Factor moves into his like sentient ship, which yeah. uh, the Professor or Prosh, this character becomes. Uh, and then we have X Factor 33. Yeah. Uh, before we before we jump forward, do you have any comments on this initial uh, Alliance of Evil story? I'm always I'm yeah. always fascinated by characters who choose to put the word evil in their group name. Yeah, like the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants or the Masters of Evil. It's always like you're really just putting it out there. There's no subtext to uh, your mission. Whereas, you know, it's funny because Magneto then becomes the example of the conflicted villain who sees himself as a hero, but he starts out with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants almost. Well, and then uh, the, the later canon is he chose the word evil because if that's how they see us, let's make him scared scared but the, yeah. word, the but the 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 word brotherhood like we're the brotherhood of evil we're the alliance like we're just some yeah. buddies who are evil like there's yeah, something we just love about being it. evil together yeah it's really <laughs> it, it's a harkens back to the silver age in a way that maybe doesn't fit even in the mid to early 80s um, the masters of evil also comes to mind yeah yeah um you know i when i reread these I definitely saw the potential for what the book would become, but it does feel like kind of a rocky start to what was an idea that seemed drawn from sales, kind of like, let's do another X-Men book because this one's selling really well. And um, eventually it settled into something that was more, I guess, creative is the word I'm looking for, something that fit in better in the X-Universe Um so that's not a criticism of Leighton. I think he was doing what was asked of him. And then uh, Louis Simonson stepped in and kind of stabilized things and gave gave the team a reason for being beyond this very convoluted, we're pretending to be mutant hunters and, and also the kind of a sort of X-Men team in the absence of the X-Men. But um, yeah, the Alliance is just a weird... I don't want to say they're a footnote because I think Frenzy went on to do some meaningful things, but the rest of the team is almost forgotten at this point. It, yeah, it really is. And a lot yeah. has happened. In, in X-Factor 33, we're now building up to Inferno. We've got inanimate objects attacking people across yeah. the city. The Mutant Registration Act is there. And we open this book with uh, Trish Tilby, who is a wonderful character. I'm getting ready to go on Cerebro uh, for the first time. Which oh, I'm nice. Thrilled about it. I'm gonna, we're I gonna love do that the, podcast. Yeah, yeah, me too. Connor's one of my favorite people. And we're going to do the character yes. mimic. The episode right before me is about Trish Tilby, which I also can't wait about because I, I, I love her. Uh, yes. We'll talk about her another time, but I, I love this character. Uh, and she's on camera. Uh, it's very, you know, mid-80s. She's, uh, she's doing her report on the streets. And the Alliance of Evil show back up. They've been released from jail or escaped, and they show up on the camera. Uh, they, they take Trish Tilby by the throat, punch a guy, break a break a lamp post, and then Frenzy says into the camera, "We're the Alliance of Evil, and we are a riot <laughs> all by ourselves." Uh, oh man! Time shadow attacks Trish. Uh, they demand that X Factor show up. Uh, we're going to teach the city what mutants can do, especially Mondo Mad Mutants. Uh, we challenge X whatever that means. Try and stop this. <laughs> this makes me think of like the way uh, an episode of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would have started when I yeah. was watching this back then. Uh, Bebop and Rocksteady attacking <laughs> the guy. Yeah, the they're just eat, they're just watching TV, eating pizza in the sewer, and have to hop <laughs> up. And this fair, this I mean, for me, it felt very much like a side story. Obviously, the X books were heading towards a much bigger problem in Inferno and all the other stuff. And and this felt kind of like not filler, like you get some great character moments, I think, in this issue, but it definitely was a warm-up act before they get to the Inferno stuff. 
I recently made an appearance on the podcast Tomb of Ideas talking about this, and I kind of side with the Alliance in this issue. Basically, what they're saying here is mm -hmm. uh, they're trying to make us register. We are mutants, yeah. and we're not going to do it, so fuck you. Yeah. Uh, whereas X-Factor's like, yeah, we'll play along. We'll we'll register to keep peace, and I'm kind of on the side of the Alliance. Like, if they're yeah. going to fight me, let's do some crimes. It's uh, We have a different understanding of uh, you know riots or protests at this point in our in Yeah, our I feel like X-Factor's vibe, in the, especially in the early part of the run is almost moderately conservative like you know like they are not as revolutionary as the main x-men team or as um violent as x-force will become like post uh post new mutants so i'm happy when it evolves away from this but yeah they're, they're definitely like taking the safe route here it's uh it's it's a fun issue though uh x-factor yeah. does attack uh well iceman and marvel girl at least they bring yeah. their students with them there's a fight we see a lot of commentary from the alliance of evil like trying to convince rusty to turn evil like you're already bad they already want you beast shows up and uh, you know they got they get arrested at the end is basically what happens if we're over summarizing yeah. uh and this is kind of the last time we see these guys time shadows never shown up again literally no. uh do you have any Oh, I guess Time Shadows back one more. We have the New Mutants annual we got to talk about. Uh, yes. Do you have any thoughts on this X Factor 33 issue? Like I said, it it felt a lot like um, kind of vamping until you get to to Inferno. I mean, it's cool that Beast is back in blue. I think that's always interesting. Um, I can't like. There's never a bad issue of X Factor drawn by Walt Simonson, so it just it doesn't feel that essential. But I guess that makes sense because the Alliance of Evil is not that essential. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from Frenzy, yeah. So uh, I'll cover this one quickly. New Mutants Annual number seven, Fabian Nicieza and uh, Guangyap are uh, on the creative team here. Stinger, Frenzy, and Tower are hired by the corporation Genetech, who are secretly being manipulated by AIM, who are secretly being manipulated by Gideon and the Toad. <laughs> and that's a weird combo. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. A alphabet soup. And they've been hired to get uh, to protect Harness and Piecemeal. I'll talk about them in a second. Uh, as they travel around the world, absorbing the scattered, broken essences of Proteus, the reality warping mutant. And Time Shadow actually is gone here. So they're yeah. gathering pieces of Proteus to reanimate Proteus. This is uh, the, <laughs> the Kings of Pain story that was running through the summer annuals here. Uh, they go to Vermont, where they fight the Exterminators kids, uh, WizKid, Leech, and Artie. Uh, Tower smashes WizKid's uh, like, little hover chair thing. Stinger zaps Leech. Frenzy knocks out Artie. These are children. Jeez. Yeah, they're just abusing these poor kids. And <laughs> it's such a weird time because New Mutants has basically evolved into X-Force. I think this annual falls in between the end of New Mutants and right before X-Force number one, I think. Like, I most of the team has formed in new mutants 100 and so this is it's it's interesting in terms of the timeline less so in terms of the content i guess yeah yeah because the alliance of evil goes on to niagara falls after this and yeah. they fight the very newly formed x-force so yeah. we've got like one of the first appearances of war well not warpath as warpath but right. Shatterstar, feral uh this is the copycat as domino era uh they they defeat the alliance very quickly uh yeah. and uh frenzy calls warpath geronimo once uh yeah. shatterstar cuts through towers achilles heel when he's in 
giant form and sends him crashing to the earth. Like this is a messed up. Yeah. yeah, it's it's great though. Uh, yeah. They put a gun to Tower's head when they're questioning him. Uh, kind of what you need here, uh, the character Harness is a mutant named Erica Benson. This is another obscure one. And she can basically make weapons out of energy. And she has a son named Gilbert who uses the code name Piecemeal who can absorb energy. And they're using, they're forcing piecemeal to gather the essences of Proteus. Uh, we were not going to talk more about these characters, but this story continues in New Warriors Annual 1, Uncanny X-Men Annual 15, X-Factor Annual 6, as part of the it's, King of yeah, Pain Yeah, not a super memorable line. arc. <laughs> yeah, at the end, piecemeal ends up dead. So this kid it uh, dies, and apparently Harness has a mutant daughter, and we've literally never seen these characters again. So there's another Patreon yeah. episode I need to do sometime on, on Harness and piecemeal. <laughs> I think it'll be a short one. I have to <laughs> I have a prediction. Yeah, there's just not a lot of real estate to cover. Uh, we talked a little bit about Stinger in the modern era. She is one of the mutants who maintains her powers after M-Day, and now she has uh, her baby with Amerta. Mm -hmm. uh, Frenzy, of course, goes on to become a beloved favorite. Time Shadow has never shown up again. Do you want to talk about what happens to Tower? Yeah, I guess T Tower dies of the legacy virus in Uncanny X-Men Annual 17, and then he comes back in Necrotia. So not a lot of activity, but at least something. Uh, definitely more than Time Shadow. <laughs> the legacy virus uh being the the parallel for the aids crisis of course mm -hmm. uh a character like like uh like tower dying shows even the biggest among us is vulnerable here right uh you know then you get a character like infectia who dies like very very kind of pathetically around the same yeah. time. Uh, mutants are dropping dead from this thing just because they're mutants. And it's it's tragic. And uh, I mean, that's a whole another story. We can talk about the legacy virus in detail, but it's a, it's a very fitting end for a character like Tower, who's really mm. just like knocked down, like they knocked the tower over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the tower has fallen, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're, uh, we're wrapping up our conversation about the Alliance of Evil. These are ancillary X-Factor villains, the drug, the drug addiction story, the working for apocalypse story. And then they're very briefly anarchists against the government. <laughs> yeah. And then they're very briefly agents working for AIM, uh, before they get their asses kicked. And that's kind of it. Then we see, yeah. Frenzy, we see Frenzy join the Acolytes after that. Uh, but this is a wild prehistory for a kind of lesser known or lesser used mutant group. Uh, what are your thoughts about these characters and what are the stories you would love to see about them? What do you want to know more about? Uh, I mean, I would love to just see the characters again and see them kind of, if not teaming up together again, at least doing some, you know, finding out where, you know, they are. I think what's interesting to me as a reader, a longtime reader of the X-Men is you know, it feels like sometimes certain writers get the X-Men voice where you're kind of writing these outcasts and outsiders who are not traditional superheroes. And the feeling I got when I was reading these first X-Factor issues was that it felt, and again, not a diss on Bob Layton, but it just felt like some, they, he was trying to put a traditional superhero take into this mutant series. And the Alliance of Evil feel, feels very much like a Defenders villain or uh, an Avengers villain type group as opposed to tying them into the bigger mutant issues that were going on and eventually you see that rectified obviously when they're they're tied into the mutant registration act and and fighting x-factor again but by then i feel like the ship had sailed so 
Um, I think those characters are not irredeemable. Like somebody could do something interesting. There's no bad characters, really. It's just the stories and how you play them. So um, I would love to see see them show up again and just see see what's going on with them. Maybe they're just hanging out on Krakoa, having like a, a, a alliance of evil reunions. <laughs> I uh, I want to write a story about Time Shadow just getting his ass kicked. He pops back into time and just has the, a bunch of terrible, unfortunate things happen to him. That's, yeah, that's I mean, maybe something that did I would happen. Love. Something did happen to him and he never made it through. I think he flirted with Frenzy and she kicked his ass. That's what I think happened to him. He deserves it. <laughs> there are literally dozens of these types of characters. Let me just list the Acolytes as an example. There are well over 25 Acolytes that there's enough about to make them really interesting. You know, like K2, Mellencamp, the Kleinstock yeah. brothers, Chrome. Uh, all of them are characters that have enough interesting things about them. Uh, and, and listen to me and Justin Kosmichek's episode on Scanner for more on this, where we oh, examine yeah. one acolyte who has tremendous potential. But because there's so many of these characters, they just never have a chance to really shine. Yeah, there's uh, so many. I'm just looking at the the list yeah the list goes on and on and some yeah. of them are very lesser known like a rem ram you know but others have a ton of potential well like the, the character k2 has this like backstory with a mega red and like right. there, there's some really fascinating uh character exploration done a lot often by nicieza if i'm honest who gives a yeah. lot a love to his characters uh but i Amelia i Vought is great absolutely um, yeah scanner i forgot about sinyaka is a great character neophyte is amazing yeah. there's a, there's and a exodus of course like exodus is getting a lot of love and, and colossus was briefly uh an acolyte so there's there's a lot of these types of characters what the alliance of evil represents most to me is that kind of punk era of the mid 80s mm -hmm. where it was like very much let's fight back and make a stand this is the uh this is like the era that gave us like give peace a chance <laughs> like, exactly uh, there's there's so much uh government influence and there's like this counterculture that's uh birthed out of the hippie movement and kind of fighting back a little bit and these characters kind of represent that for me in a in an odd way interesting uh, but i'm fond of them I, I i like these characters except for time shadow i want to see him again just to get his ass kicked but the rest of yeah, them i think it's a like. cool it's it's not a terrible name i i just i think whoever brings him back needs to give him a new coat of paint <laughs> he's yeah he's a weird he's a weird guy he, yeah. gives me, he gives me real bernard the poet vibes and that's not a good thing no yeah definitely not yeah it's an idea that has not aged well <laughs> well alex segura i think you are fantastic and phenomenal i love hanging oh, out with thanks. You. as Likewise. we are as we're wrapping this up we're going to put this out on june 21st on the patreon mm -hmm. uh where can people find you online and what would you like to plug is that you, you mentioned a little bit about some of the work you have coming out but uh yeah. I, I hope you are busy and blessed right now i am yeah thank you so much i'm uh at alexsegura.com and on twitter at alex underscore segura i'm also on instagram at alex segura jr um and you can pick up Ananya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow, wherever books are sold. Fantastic. I uh, I have not yet ordered that one. I need to. Uh, I'm very excited for your Secret Identity follow-up. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and your Star Wars work sounds really amazing, too. Uh, has the writer's strike affected you at all? No, not directly. I'm not. Um, though I support, obviously support the Writers Guild, but I'm not affected directly. Uh, the the guild versus non-guild writers, uh, there's there's so much happening right now. And it's gone on longer than I thought it would. But I guess I'm not surprised either. Uh, yeah, I think it's just a matter about, of writers. You know, they should be compensated for their work. 
well i i I expected the big industries to cave by now and say well yeah let's let's give you what you deserve uh i hope we have a resolution on that before we put this out uh yes i hope it's resolved before this episode airs but we'll see uh alex and i are also both getting ready to uh go into summertime with our children it's always a very busy time but it's great to see you man thank you so much yeah take care thanks so much Okay. Thanks again. Thanks, Alex. Uh, everybody, we will be back here next time. Our next Patreon episode after this is going to feature the character Lucinda Guthrie, uh, the mother of all the Guthrie kids, who's the ultimate <laughs> E-flag mom. Uh, I've talked about this one a few times due to some reschedules. Uh, me and Paul Flores uh, or Day Spring are going to put that out. And then the next episode on the main show coming out right after this is going to focus on the origin of Storm. Uh, we are delving into Uncanny Origins number nine with guests uh, Annie Nascenti and Carrie Harris. And then Bar Fox is going to co-host with me. So oh, nice. great stuff. Great stuff coming up uh and tell Annie i said hi i will i love her so much uh and and uh then hopefully my cerebra episodes out around this time too so uh we'll see you all this summer there's some cool things happening uh okay thanks for tuning in we'll see you back here next time